guys, Jack here. Just wanted to thank everybody on Zach and my behalf for being a Just Hands listener. Uh, we've experienced pretty constant growth over the past year or so, uh, and we're really appreciative to those of you who have shared the podcast with friends, although it's probably not the most plus EV thing to do. Uh, anyways, keep doing so. Remember, you can review us on iTunes or whatever you know, podcast medium you use. And to our new listeners, I would be remiss not to tell you about a few Just Hands opportunities. Uh, we have a membership program, which is really awesome. Uh, it's a great way to support the podcast and also, I think, an excellent value. Uh, you can learn more about that at justhandspoker.com slash membership. And for all our listeners, remember to sign up for our coaching event with Thinking Poker in the New York City area this March 25th and 26th. Uh, it's going to be really awesome. Check out more details on that at justhandspoker.com slash thinkingpokernyc. Links to all those in the show notes. And again, thank you guys so much for listening. All right, enjoy the episode. Hey, Jack. Hey, Zach. You finished those uh, pistachios? I am finished with those pistachios. Thank you. Good. So now we can finally get on with our listener hand. So Alvin Antonio wrote in with a hand for us this week, and that is not his real name, but we will not disclose his real name because he was playing poker at the MGM Casino in D.C., when he maybe should have been at work. So we got to keep his name anonymous. Yes, Alvin. Uh, for what it's worth, that is a just hands approved lie <laughs> to your work. Uh, so, you know, good to have your priorities straight. And I hope it was plus EV, but I guess we'll find out after we look at the hand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he was playing at the MGM 2-5 around Christmas time. Okay, so... Uh, in the Tell Us About the Relevant Players in the Hand section, Alvin writes, Three players in the pot. I was in the hijack. Main villain was on the button, and the other villain was big blind. I had been at the table with the main villain for about three hours or so. He's a middle-aged Indian man who was playing very loose-aggressive. He seemed to have some poker knowledge because I overheard him talking after a fold that he didn't have the right pot odds to make the call. But his play didn't seem to reflect that he could actually implement a decent <laughs> strategy. Pause for a second. I've played with I've played with that type of player before. I think there's some people who are definitely like there to gamble, even and even though they know about pot odds and things like that, they're not always gonna adhere to that or play their best since they just want more action. And there's also another type of player that is really insecure about their quality of their game and then you know poker knowledge they have that they constantly say words like equity and pot odds and stuff to like make it sound like they're better to impress the other players at the table yeah i i think especially with like a term like equity i think that's often true i think most people around who've been around the game long enough have come across pot odds because it's a pretty simple concept to understand uh maybe not quite as simple as to implement correctly (laughs) but uh in terms of like the math uh it's pretty easy to learn anyways uh he moved three or four times to get position on larger stacks. Hmm. And was successful in taking down large pots after on the flop or turn against these players. But once he got to showdown and people saw him twice go all in with nothing, he got a very spewy image and wasn't getting people to fold to his overbets anymore. Okay, so that's an interesting development. So I think the fact that he's table changing to get position on the big stacks is definitely evidence that this is a player who is trying to win, although maybe they are playing as too ambitious of a strategy or something that, you know, is easily recognized uh, by 
probably everyone in the game, and so it doesn't necessarily work in a long session. Uh, and everyone's always trying to win, generally speaking. Yeah, but uh, this person is... Yeah. Uh, you know, winning is maybe more of a priority other than, like, comfort or being socially normal, because most people don't ch- see it change three or four times. I also think, you know, I personally try to see change as little as possible, uh, because I think it's really bad for the game. Uh, yeah, definitely. And every, everyone's kind of able to recognize it, regardless of, like, their skill level in poker, you know, on some level. If you have to, you, you bum hunt and you you move to the direct left of the weakest player at the table, or the player who's giving away the most money. But I'm often much more comfortable table changing to get on the left of a professional, since I know they won't, uh, they're not going to leave. <laughs> or they're not going to, like... <laughs> They might not want it, but I don't really care that much what they want. Uh, more so, I, I really don't want to upset a recreational player. Yeah. He recently bought back in for the third time and won the last hand after hitting a two-pair on a dry board against pocket kings that had three-bet as pre-flop raise. Uh, he was holding 9-5 suited. His stack was now around 1,600. Uh, okay, so... Obviously, this player is playing way too wide of a range, uh, calling three bets with 9-5 suited. So I think we're expecting just someone who's going to be super aggro, playing a really wide range, and bluffing a ton. Uh, So that's pretty easy to play with, although maybe a little higher variance than some people are... uh, Some people prefer, but, you know, we'll keep that in mind moving forward. Our second villain was a young Asian player who seemed good, but maybe a little too aggressive or cocky. Sounds familiar. <laughs> he had only been at the table for 45 minutes or so, but the guy next to me who I, had been talking, who I had been talking to told me he played with him for a long time the night before and to watch out for him. I think real quick, when people might tell you to watch out for somebody, uh, that might be because, you know, as I alluded to before, some people don't like playing against people uh, who you have to play a high-variance style against. So this might be someone we actually should be very confident about getting into pods with. Uh, and just other people who are nittier than they're supposed to be don't like to. Yeah, I also think it could be just a combination of, like... I also think it could just be a result of variance, too. Like, maybe this guy just happened to, like, win a few big pots or, like, have a really good bluff spot and take it. So there's a lot of reasons why, and I wouldn't take, like, a random person at the table's, like, advice too seriously. Okay, so Alvin writes, I learned my lesson a few hands earlier as he took advantage of me when he was in position and I made a bet that either I shouldn't have or shouldn't or should have with a lot larger sizing. I haven't I haven't really seen him get to showdown, but I don't have the impression that his range is too ridiculous. Maybe just a little wider than a typical tag. Okay. He was around six hundred dollars as well. I was the short stack at fourteen hundred and twenty five dollars. And keep in mind, like, a lot of people use the term short stack when they have less chips than everyone at the table, but I think it really only makes sense when you're kind of, like, around 50 big blinds or so. 1425 at a 2-5 game is 300 big blinds, so if you're at a table where you're the short stack, you know, the quote-unquote short stack with 300 big blinds, you should stay at the table. (laughs) Yeah, uh, (laughs) bankroll considerations to play a part, but almost certainly, uh, Another thing to note about this table is that besides those two, and one guy who was under the gun plus one, a lot of people were not calling preflop raises above 3x, but it seemed like anything below that could get most people in, and then the action post-flop is crazy if there's anything close to a wet board. 
People were also straddling about around 75% of the time, so that may explain a little why people were willing to play a wider range of pre-flop. Well, well, it shouldn't. But, yeah, it shouldn't, but it, but it, it probably does. does yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, everyone seemed somewhat confident besides the main villain, but I decided to hang at the table despite not feeling like I had a huge skill advantage, largely because the action was so good, and there was a wait list, so we had a somewhat constant stream of semi-fish players coming to the table. Well, to be honest, it sounds like a great game. Uh, <laughs> definitely, it's it's you know it's worth aggressively table selecting. I, I think you should definitely consider table changing. Uh, you don't need to get on back on the list to do that if you think you can find a better game. Uh, also, in terms of how the list affects the game, uh, you know, it, I think it's always good to keep tabs of like who is likely to leave soon and if anyone is likely to leave soon. Like, if someone has a short stack and you don't think they're going to rebuy, then it's worth considering, like, that the list is likely to bring in more fish than not. But if at a really deep table where it seems like everyone's kind of there to stay, I wouldn't consider that too much. And I would more think, like, is this a good game to play in or not? And if not, like, what should I do? So he writes, Even before the hand was dealt, I had a plan to raise any decent hands to try to induce the two players who actually got on the hand to stay in. Oh, and I think by he means by that, the, the two players with the larger description, of the longer descriptions. Yeah, and, yeah, okay. I feel like they were in the spots where their ranges were widest, and that I liked that the better player I, I had position on. I had the ace-jack of spades. There was no straddle this hand. Some guy in middle position made a standard opening of 15, and I three-bet, making it 50 to call. I thought this would push out most people, but might still be enticing enough for each of the villains to call with what I assume would be worse. Main villain calls, and so does the big blind. Neither of them thought about it very long at all, which to me signaled that they probably had the middle of their ranges, but I wasn't trying to read too much anything into this point. So first I would say, if you're in a game where you can 3-bet to 50 with ace-jack of spades and expect to get cold called by worse consistently, you should never really consider leaving this game, especially if you're in a big blind's deep, uh, outside of you know some bankroll considerations. Um, I also think that, based on your description... Definitely the the first player, I think it would be very likely for him to call with worse. As you said, he opened 9-5 suited preflop and called, and you have evidence of that, and he's down a lot and playing really spewy. Uh, but I'm, I'm not sure there's evidence of that for the other player. That being said, given the like how bad this player is and that you have uh, position on him in the big blind, I definitely like 3-betting this hand uh, to try to isolate the worst players. Yeah, I mean, so I think... Ace-jack suited is probably, like, you know, a hand that's pretty marginally 3-bet or called against, uh, you know, how the pre-flop raiser or the first raiser is going to play. So, you know, I think you have a more, a more of a decision if you expect it to go heads up a lot. But I think when you correctly identify that the, the button is likely to come along, uh, this hand becomes a clear 3-bet because even though maybe we're not doing great great against uh the preflop raiser's calling range uh we're doing so well against the buttons calling range that we just want more money in the pot uh yeah i agree with jack that i don't see that much evidence that the big blind is going to call so i don't think that we should uh you know make the same considerations that we did for the button for the big blind uh but it did call and probably with a range that we're happy to be uh, in this pot with with eighth ace jack of spades I'll just add that I think in most cases, uh, it's more important to play against people who have already committed chips 
than people who haven't, you know, VPIPed at all. And so in most, most situations, I would say you should really be focusing on the range of the preflop razor and not worrying as much about the fish who haven't entered the hand yet. Uh, but I think uh, in this case, it's drastic enough that uh, you are right to. Okay, so on the flop action, we don't hear anything about the preflop razor. So Zach and I are going to move forward assuming that that player folded. Uh, so it comes out queen 10 of spades, jack of hearts, and the big line leads out for 100, making the pot around 300. Based on how quickly he acted, it seemed like he had always planned to lead out, but I wasn't too sure if I had a better read on his range because I honestly thought the sizing was pretty balanced. Let's take a second to decipher that. Yeah, first, so you're saying he always planned to lead out? I think even for, like, a loose Buey player, that's a bit ambitious. Like, maybe if you were in a tournament, short-stacked, heads up. But to say that you're, like, 300 big blinds deep, he cold calls a three-bet in the big blind, and then is, like, playing to lead out on most boards into two people, I just feel like at least we haven't heard the type of evidence we would need to, to like, make that claim. I also think this is... You know, if you'd had that plan pre-flop, this is the type of flop that might make you think twice. You know, queen-jack-10 with a flush draw is not the flop anyone was expecting. It's extremely coordinated, and they're all high cards, so they kind of smack everybody's ranges. Uh, So I think a lot of the hands that Villain might have thought, you know, they were just going to bet no matter what. Not that I think... I think people rarely play like that in the first place, but even if that was true, I think this... The fact that Villain bet so quickly actually makes me think that this did connect with his hand in some meaningful way, uh, which triggered his, you know, betting reflex more so than the betting was always going to happen, and then th- this flop didn't phase him at all. Uh, when you say the sizing is pretty balanced, um, I-, I think that's probably somewhat likely I think we could see uh, a fairly balanced range here I think seeing flush draws is not out of the question because I think uh, an aggressive player might not realize that this is not the best spot to be leading out with like 5-4 of spades Uh, and I also could see this player thinking that they should be you know coming out and betting their two pair type hands uh, right away uh, and, and maybe some sets too, although I think given how aggressive this player is supposed to have been, I don't think I'm, I'm not expecting very many sets at all. I think even a hand like tens, uh, this player might decide to squeeze. Uh, maybe not. I guess, you know, it depends on your image. I guess if, since you're, you, uh, since you three bet, maybe that's less likely and he, he will have t- tens and jacks here pretty often. Uh, but I think ace, king, and queens are very unlikely. So moving on, uh, Alvin writes, I still thought it unlikely that he had anything at the top of his range, but he would have probably 4-bit preflop or maybe sized a little higher now because he'd want to try and take it down or make it super expensive to draw on him if he had, say, an overpair. So I assumed he was drawing with maybe some ace-10, ace-jack, king-jack, 10-queen, plus some low pocket pairs and rarely already hit any straight that wasn't queen-high. Queen I'll just really quick point out that overpairs are really not the top of this player's range. I do think they're unlikely, but I also don't think that they're the hands uh, you know, that we're really worried about. 
I also want to add, like, if you think the sizing is pretty balanced, but that he would never bet this small with a hand that's beating you, then the sizing isn't balanced. Um, so, yeah, definitely. That's yeah. a really good point. I'll also point out that a lot of the hands you give as examples of pot- potential bets, I think, would be really poor bets. I'm not saying they're impossible, but uh, I think at least we should at least discount them somewhat, since if this player is, I think, decent, I think it's very unlikely that they're going to be bending out a hand like Ace-10 here, or Ace-Jack, King-Jack. I mean, I think Queen-10 is very likely to bet out, uh, but I think those other hands are much less likely. Alvin continues, Initially I thought about calling, thinking that if the main villain bets, I could shove, and that since his range was probably somewhat of the big blind, and he likely had at best a set or a queen-high straight, that he'd probably fold. Well, I'll just add that I don't think this player is folding straights or sets. Yeah. Um, continues, however, I was nervous he would just call and that a blank would come and then big blind would shove and I'd have to fold or shove and in my mind it seemed like I'd be taking ace-king out of my range by not raising now. And the probability of them folding to my shove with now a greater chance of them having hit the straight or having a set would mean I'd likely fold and I didn't want to lose this pot. Um... So I'll just butt in. One, we should never really... Uh, it, it's just we don't want to be too attached to a pot. Uh, we might lose, and that's okay. We can't play in a way to maximize the amount of times we win. We have to play to maximize our expected value. And that might mean playing in a way where we're going to end up losing the pot a little bit more often in terms of just... You know, the times we rake in chips. Uh, but yeah, it's just it's just not the mindset we want here. Uh, I also think we have a royal flush draw, and I don't think playing... Given that we have a pair of jacks and we can over-flush people, uh, I don't think there's any need to raise here. But I think that does mean that if this player is just going to shove on the turn... Uh, it's fine if we end up folding on a blank. Uh, it doesn't mean we played it badly. Uh, you know, it just, it just means the cards didn't come out the way we wanted. And who knows, if this player had a flush and then, you know, shoved on a spade turn, uh, we would have made a ton of money. Yeah, I also think we have really one of our best calling hands here. Because it's a hand that if, like, the button back raises, we're, like, very happy to get it in with our straight draw, gut shot to the nuts and our nut flush draw, and our pair of jacks. Uh, but it works great as a call because there's so many turn cards that give that improve our hand. Uh, and we still have a pair now, which, given the big blind's very loose preflop range, we're certainly ahead of by calling. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I, would, I would be much more excited to raise a hand like king-jack of spades here, uh, since... We're not as excited about our implied odds of turning a flush uh, since we're going to be up against some nut flush draws and we'd rather you know, maybe try and force the action now since we have a very strong draw and some showdown value already, uh, but our implied odds aren't quite as good. So Alvin continues. Oh, one other thing is I think it's, it's super duper unlikely we're going to get back raised here. Uh, you know, I know this this player is very... Uh, or the button is very aggressive, but uh, 
His range is so wide, he's likely to have just a ton of air here, and I don't think this is necessarily a spot where you're thinking that you should come around and uh, fire air. So Alan continues, So because I thought I had a lot of ace-king in my range still in their minds, I went with a bet size of 225, thinking it would fold out all the pairs on the board and leave maybe a few combo draws, sets, two pair, and the queen-high straights, but that would seem like a value bet for the ace-high straight and would make a c-bet or shove on the turn more convincing. So first off, against the players you're describing, uh, I don't think a 225 raise is going to fold out a pair of queens on this board. Uh, I think when you make a min-raise that is less than the size of the pot, I think the big blind is continuing with basically his entire range, uh, and you also really increase the likelihood that the button will call, which I don't think is a bad thing. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Jack and I definitely think this is a clear call. Um, but it's an interesting question whether this kind of like min-raise, small raise is actually better than a larger raise. When, and I think it is, because it keeps a wider range of hands in, uh, which we're ahead. Where if we raise it to like five or 600 and get called, uh, I'm guessing, you know, we have a lot less equity against that range. Well, I think the main thing to keep... We, if we are going to raise, we should, I think, raise small because I think we want to... The, the only type of hands that we absolutely do not want to fold are flush draws. Uh, a flush draw folding is a total disaster. Uh, so we just want to make sure to, we raise to a size where flush draws are not going to fold. Yeah, so I think, you know, the, the main part of this logic that I think is flawed is that uh, I think it's likely that Villain is going to be a lot more polarized uh, than you know we're giving credit for right now. I think it's you know not a given that this player is going to be betting very many one pair hands, uh, and I think we really you know a lot of the value part of a polarized range is not going to fold here and is not going to fold uh, you know on a blank. You know maybe we can get some two pair to fold, but I just think we have the type of hand that's going to benefit a lot more from calling. And keeping the SPR high while we have such good implied odds, you know, when we hit a straight or hit a flush, um, in particular a flush. So yeah, I, I still prefer a call, but I do agree that sizing smaller when we do raise is going to be better. Alvin continues, I was in a better position to get those straights off their hand by shoving to a three bet from the main villain or a bet from the big blind villain on the turn or just shoving myself on the turn, I thought... I don't think you're ever going to fold out a straight on this flop, even with a stack depth against the villains as described. Uh, so I don't think we should be trying to bluff target straights. I don't think we should be trying to bluff target two pairs. I think against these players, we should be trying to just, you know, value bet as relentlessly as possible. Yeah, I just think, like, uh, rather than try and force the action now with this hand, uh, since we have such a good price and such good implied odds, it's just better to... To use it as a drawing hand that also has, you know, good equity against this player's range because we have a pair and we're crushing any draws. So the main villain calls after thinking about it for maybe 20 seconds, and the big blind villain folds. So now there's about 800 in the pot, and Alvin has 1150 behind, so a little under one and a half times the pot, and he's the effective stack. So interesting in that the big blind let out 100 and folded, even for just a small raise. Yeah, and, and maybe this was just sort of a crazy bluff, or, you know, I definitely think that Alvin might be just spot on about Villain's range, and I'm totally wrong, and that 
this probably is a hand like ace 10 ace jack uh you know king jack he might be spot on about that range i still don't think that makes it a good raise because we don't want those hands to fold uh i don't know exactly where uh the main villain is you know having just flatted our raise it seems kind of crazy uh, I think probably a, a lot of draws, like maybe even just some sort of bear nines, kings, uh, flush draws, uh, and then maybe some like one pair hands, uh, or even two pair. I think sets are very unlikely. I think straights are very unlikely. So yeah, I, I mean, I think we're pretty happy with his outcome. Okay, so Alvin writes, the turn comes up is a seven of hearts. I decided to try to continue the story that I was playing the top of my range and try and represent that I've had potentially the ace-high straight and was betting for value by doing a half-pot bet of 400. I was thinking he might fold now, or if he calls, I still have a convincing shove on the river, or if he shoves slash raises here, I can fold. Uh, He again thought about it for a while, and then called. Okay, so I don't mind betting here, since I do think, like, if we can get hands like sort of random queens to fold, uh, that's going to be great, and... If we can get value from draws, which I think is likely, that's also great. So I, yeah, I don't, I don't mind betting four hundred here, but I don't think I'm necessarily planning on shoving the river uh, if this player does call. So yeah, that's that's my only amendment. Also, if he shoves or raises here, given just like how crazy this player is and you know how much equity we probably have, I just don't think we can fold. Yeah, that's why I actually really don't like this bet sizing. I think it is an interesting spot in terms of checking your betting, but I think if we're betting, we're like betting to more or less maximize our fold equity and to bet call, and we're betting not to shove the river. So like even if we bet 400 here, then we're putting another 800 in the pot, and now the pot's 1600, and we have 750 left behind. Against the villain I was described, I just don't really see that he's going to fold any hand that, um, you know were behind on the river, getting such good pot odds. So I think it's really between checking or betting maybe like 600-something. I don't know if I agree, because I think the main thing we would want to accomplish are like folding out the worst queens and keeping in draws. Uh, Because keeping in flush draws is going to be really, really valuable for us. So I worry that betting something like 600 is going to fold out some of the worst flush draws that might have called the flop. So I personally like this sizing because I, I do think, like, even though it's only a half-pot bet, it's, like, almost double our flop bet. I think we do look very strong here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think we're likely to fold out a hand like Queen-8 that maybe got really sticky on the flop. So I, th- I think I personally like 400, but I definitely think that, like, we should bet the maximum size that flush draws will call uh, because basically we're value betting against flush draws and trying to build a pot in case the flush comes in uh, or I guess the straight comes in, although that's not going to be anywhere near as profitable. And as long as we can garner some fold equity without uh, getting our main value targets to fold, uh, that's that's best. So what about checking? I don't... Love checking since uh, I just don't see I just see villain checking back a lot, and I think we can get some value here 
because this player is going to have a lot of draws. Like, this player might have hands like 10-9, uh, you know, jack-8. Just just horrible hands to show up here with mm-hmm. that we can get value from. And really, the only fold equity I think is that's important to have here uh, are, like, the, the worst queens. I said the queen-8, but maybe even, like, you know, queen-5 with, like, a backdoor heart draw or whatever the other... Uh, yeah. Uh, although that probably wouldn't fold now that a second heart came up. Or I don't even know if I don't I don't know if I have the suits right. Uh, yeah. No, I do have the suits right. Uh, so obviously, like that's probably not folding, you know. But queen five of diamonds, whatever. I think there's some hands that are better that are going to fold, but mostly I think we're just value betting against draws, since I think that makes up the majority of this player's range. Yeah, I mean, I think against that range composition, I like betting this sizing. Uh, I also didn't really imagine that this player would like cold, cold call this min raise with all these different pairs but it's not out of the question given the player description like he could have bad queens he could even have worse just kind of pairs with very bad draws with them like gut shots uh orp and under so yeah i in retrospect I, I think betting is definitely better um that being said i'm not confident that the player as described is going to be folding to 600 something you know and I feel a lot better about getting him to fold out his pairs for that sizing. So uh, I still I still think I like a larger sizing, but it's really just dependent on like, yeah, what the villain does with kind of the the top of our bluff targeting range with those pairs of queens. Yeah. Well, I, I guess I think this player is probably going to fold some of their queens to bet a four hundred and never fold a flush draw. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so I like the sizing, but yeah, I can hear an argument for going bigger. I can't hear an argument for going that much smaller, since I think that 400 is going to get called by all the flush draws. Okay, so on the river, the 9 of diamond comes up, and Alvin writes, I think for about 5 seconds, and then shove. At this point, I thought with him calling me down that he most likely had 9-8 or a set, and so the only way I thought I could win was to continue my story that I had the nuts. I thought it would be convincing, because I had only ever shown winning hands at showdown, except for once, when I lost a two-pair that hit on the river... I lost to a two pair that hit on the river against my pocket aces. So, the nine's a very interesting card. Now we have four cards to a straight. I definitely don't agree with the analysis that he most likely had a two pair or a set here, based on the villain description. I think it's very likely this villain would have raised with most or all of those hands on the flop. So, actually on this run out, even though I didn't think it would necessarily be profitable to bluff the river on most runouts i think this is actually a card that when alvin gets to this point with this hand with his stack behind i think he is going to have a profitable bluff doesn't need to work that often when he's betting uh like 750 into 1600 and i think there's going to be a lot of like maybe one pair and two pair hands that will fold yeah i'm, I'm not sure that i agree uh i'm trying to think of one pair hands here that you know, because I'm I'm sort of operating under the assumption that there's not much like Queen X here uh, that's not you know a straight or two pair at this point. I th- I really do think that like hands like Queen Five, Queen Six will have folded on the turn. So I'm operating under that assumption that maybe like the only one pair hand we're really seeing at this point is like Ace Queen and. You know, so I do think we could get a hand like Ace Queen to fold, uh, but I think it's a risky game to try and get someone to fold 
two pair here. I do think it's possible, but it sounds like this player is just really sticky. Yeah, I guess you're right. There's a lot more two pair combos here. And I think there's also like we haven't talked about all the King X this player has. Yeah. You know, I think He's all the King X's. He has yeah, I think King Ten, King, Ten, King Jack, King Queen. Yeah, he's probably uh-huh. raising King Nine on the flop. Maybe. I could also see you know, I do think it's possible that this player could slow play hands like Ace King, uh King Nine. I don't think we're expecting all those combos, but I, I just think this player is going to be calling a lot. Uh, if we think that... I mean, we're sort of operating under the assumption that like we have a ton of fold equity, but so far we haven't really demonstrated any of that fold equity because this player is still in the hand. <laughs> so if we think this player is all of a sudden going to be folding like a ton, then sure, because you're right, it doesn't have to work that often. This bluff only has to work about... Like uh, you know, thirty percent or so, to be correct. I just I'm not confident that it's going to be, and I to me I think the biggest reason to shove here is if we're worried about uh, getting bluff raised a lot when we check, uh, and I do think that's possible. So like, maybe it's best to bluff since we will, you know, win enough even though. Some of those hands will will be beating, uh, but if those hands that we were beating would have bluffed us had we checked, uh, that would make betting better. So I, I think that's the most likely scenario for betting to be correct. Yeah, and you know, given the opponent description, I do think that's somewhat plausible. I also don't think check folding is really that bad either. Uh, I think both are going to be, you know, around break even. Uh, Obviously, check folding is going to be marginally plus EV. It's just going to be a question of is you know is shoving here more plus EV. Yeah, I'm I'm going to take back what I said in terms of you know on the turn I was confident that like with less than a half pot bet against a loose sticky player we probably shouldn't plan to shove the turn and then I saw this river card and amended that I'm going to amend my statement back. And convince Jack. I think this is a check fold. Uh, I think maybe if there's some very convincing live tells and we had a strong read on this player in terms of what they're doing physically and behaviorally, maybe good check decide, check call. But yeah, there's just so many two pair combos here and I, I think even if you have like an aggressive, kind of looser, bluffy player, like I don't think they're just gonna be betting their two pair combos here, you know? Oh no, they're not gonna be betting their two pair combos. No, I, I understand you're talking about their bluffs, but I'm saying like if if they're only betting their, like, let's say, straights or maybe sets are better, but probably just straights are better, and then, like, bluffing with all of their weird bluffs, I'm fine check-folding because I'm, I'm not confident of how many kind of weird bluffs they're going to show up with here and then bluff. Well, I just think they have way too many... This player has way too many straights they might want to value bet Yeah. to check-call. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's why I'm comfortable check-folding. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think the... The two pair, you mentioned two pair specifically, and I just think that's a lot more relevant towards the decision of, you know, is our bet going to be profitable? Um, because I think when we check, we we basically know those our hands are not going to bet and that we're going to lose. Uh, and we're, we're sort of accepting that. Uh, but if they weren't going to fold to a bet, that doesn't make, uh, you know, it's, that still makes checking the best option against those hands. Yeah, and... For less than a half pot bet against the players described, it, it sounds like, yeah, they're just 
they're they're not going to fold two pair enough for this to be a profitable bet. So, see, Alvin writes. After some time, the villain called and flipped up Queen Nine. And yeah. that's a hand that you know makes perfect sense. And honestly, like, I wouldn't call cold call a three bet with Queen Nine. But if I got to the flop with Queen Nine and started there, I'd probably play it the same way. I'm not sure. <laughs> I think I would probably fold on to flop? a bet raised on a flop. Yeah, because I, I think we're up. We're drawing dead enough that, uh, or drawing close to dead enough that it's worth. I think just getting out. I'm also, I think, maybe ranging big blind wrong in this spot, which would affect my fold. Uh, I'm also not expecting the hijack or our hero to be raising a hand like ace jack. So, yeah, I think, you know, I might be wrong, but I think a lot of the time it's going to be better to fold a hand like queen knight after a bet raise on the flop. Yeah, I guess I'm... I'm saying what I'm saying, like, knowing that the hero yeah. did this with ace-jack, which I yeah, wouldn't know in-game. Big yeah. line folded. Yeah, uh, exactly. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, I think folding is is never going to be so bad. Uh, but, yeah, I, you know, like like we said, we haven't demonstrated any real fold equity. Uh, and so a card that really smacks our opponent's range, I don't think that we should necessarily expect our fold equity to all of a sudden kick in now. So I think that's the big mistake in the hand, uh, other than... I personally think checking back the flop is going to be a lot better. Uh, I like the turn play. I like pre-flop a lot. Uh, And I think you're thinking about some good things in terms of your perceived range. I just think that you're maybe too optimistic about your fold equity against this opponent that is shown to be very spewy and is stuck a couple buy-ins. All right. 